Hi, this is Jeff Rabel, uh, reigning Guinness World Record holder for most Bruce Springsteen songs identified by their lyrics in one minute. Uh, my record is 20. You can totally beat it. Uh, this is Set Lusting Bruce with the great Jesse Jackson. everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson, and joining me today is another fan, another friend, I suppose, from across the pond. Uh, I have uh, Neil with me today. How are you doing, Neil? I'm very well, Jesse. Thanks for having me on the show. No, I really appreciate it. It is we we were talking just a few minutes uh, before we hit record. Uh, you are um, involved in a website, and you're talking about doing a book, and I can't wait to talk about it. But um, why don't you introduce yourself first, though? Okay. Well, my name is Neil Cosser. Um, I run a website called This Day in Music, which has actually been online since, blimey, 1999. Wow. Um, I used to work in radio myself, um, and I was sort of a, a reluctant radio DJ. Um, I worked at a radio station in, in Manchester in England, and I, I was first at first working behind the scenes. I used to do all the programming, programming of the music, um, and... I eventually had to do a show when somebody was ill one Sunday morning. Um, and I never really saw myself as being, a, you know, a radio presenter or a DJ. Uh, but I quite enjoyed doing the show. But I never felt that comfortable just talking about, you know, everyday things. So um, I ended up doing a regular sort of show in the evening, early evening, sort of five nights a week. And to fill part of that show, I started to do a feature called This Day in Music where I would talk about things that happened on, you know, at, at that particular day of the year, whether it was, you know, the Beatles released Hey Jude or the Rolling Stones, you know, what were doing a concert somewhere or people's birthdays, deaths. And the whole thing just grew from that. I sort of got quite 
obsessed by the, the fact that there's so many things happened in music on any day of the year. I started to compile them and then um, it evolved into a website, which then uh, turned out to be a book. I, the, I've had a book published called This Day Music three times now. Um, and through that, I've also become an author as well. Um, so this particular new book I'm working on, which is called Bruce Springsteen, I Was There, is one of a series of books. We've already published books on the Beatles, I Was There, which, uh, two years ago. And we've done uh, the Rolling Stones, uh, the Who, and I did uh, David Bowie, I Was There, last year. And the publisher said to me, who would you like to do next? And I said, well, it's got to be Bruce Springsteen, because I can't really think of any other act who's sort of conquered the world in such a way um, is still making great records now and has had such an amazing career. And I know he has this amazing fan base worldwide. And so I said, we've got to do this. So we started working on the book um, straight after the new year. Yeah. And that's that's perfect. Thank you. I, I loved hearing that. And, and so we're going to get into the book and how people can contribute. Um, I've seen your postings on both Facebook and Twitter and and I hope that I thought I hope you were so overwhelmed with stories that you're going to be like okay I can't put them all in the book I have to do two volumes um, <laughs> but I always like to start Neil with um, my guest musical origin so talk to me about growing up um, what what kind of music did your family listen to? What did you listen to as a kid? And then when you got into high school, what was your kind of music? Okay, well, uh, my father was actually a, a semi-professional guitarist. My my dad was in a, a sort of jazz dance band after the Second World War. They were called the Treble Clefs. And my mum and dad, who are luckily still with us, uh, my dad's now 90 and my mum's 86, They've always loved music and still do. So I remember growing up in the house, we always had the radio on, but we also had this um, great little mono record player that my dad had made himself. My dad was a bit of an electronics whiz kid and he'd bought a deck, but he'd made a valve amplifier to go with it. And he'd, he'd also made the cabinet that it all sat in. And it sounded, I have great memories, it sounded so warm, the sound that came out of that you know, 10-inch speaker at the front of the record player. And my mum and dad were huge uh, musical fans. So we had, you know, The King and I, uh, West Side Story, Oklahoma, all those great musicals from the 50s, which I distinctly remember hearing constantly in the house. Um, that was sort of my first introduction to music, I suppose. As I, as I say, Jesse, the radio was always on as well. But of course, the radio when I was, I'm 60 this year, so the radio when I was growing up, um, sort of the very early 60s in England, uh, wasn't that great for pop music. Uh, the BBC had pop music uh, programmes, but sort of very few and far between during the day. And it was probably when my sister, who's two years older than myself, she discovered the Beatles, as obviously most people did then worldwide, you know, 1963, 64. Uh, so I remember I used to then hear these Beatles records on the record player that my sister was listening to. Um, and that was really my introduction to, to pop music, I suppose. Yeah. And through yeah, and through her and her friends, I started to hear, you know, the Beach Boys, Roy Orbison, um, all those great 
sort of, you know, early 60s pop acts and then people like the Kinks and the Rolling Stones. So that was sort of my introduction to music as I was growing up. And I then I was then going to say sort of through that, I very early on, I remember I got my first plastic guitar, I think, when I was uh, probably six years old for Christmas. And I really wanted to learn how to play the guitar. Uh, But this you know, plastic toy guitar was completely useless, really. Um, so I got my mum and dad to buy me my first guitar when I was nine years old, which I still have now, and I still play it. Um, and my dad taught me a few chords, um, and I found myself then just being obsessed by music. Um, I was a huge Beatles fan, became a massive Beatles fan, and the Stones as well, and, you know, and all that great British pop. Um, which then evolved into heavier, heavier side of things with Jimi Hendrix and Led Zeppelin as I sort of as I was finishing school. Um, and I, I, do, I, I formed my first band when I was uh, 13. You know, I, I, I assume and, you know, uh, you've read Bruce's biography. Yeah. Um, very similar story, isn't that? Yeah, it is. It is, actually. Except Bruce Springsteen is a, a huge and very talented worldwide star, and I'm here talking to you. <laughs> uh, yes, but you're a star to me. But, you yeah. know, I, I, yeah, it's the idea, though, of starting that, um, you know, wanting that guitar and learning it. And, um, you know, that's pretty that's pretty interesting. Um, you know, my dad was a big guitar player, and I've been – um, and it just, I never had the dedication or the drive or the discipline to learn. I always think I'm going to, and then I don't. Um, so I'm always impressed with people that went and, you know, took the time to play, whether it's, you know, really good or just, you know, someone who can strum a few chords. I still think it's amazing. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned early sixties. So I was born in 59. Uh, I, you know, so I grew up in, um, my dad was in the army, moved around a lot, but most of my high school time was in, uh, Louisiana and we did, uh, you know, top 40 radio ruled. So, um, and going into high school, you know, I listened to, you know, the AM stations, hearing all the different, um, you know, everything from foreigner to, you know, Fleetwood Mac, the Eagles, um, Queen, things like that. So how about yourself? You were talking about finding this love for early rock and roll. How about when you started going up into school? What kind of music? Yeah, it really was sort of British, you know, uh, pop and guitar music. Uh, The Beatles were definitely my favorite band. Still are now, I would say. I, I still listen to the Beatles quite a lot, actually. Um, but I was really into the Rolling Stones. Um, and, you know, to tie that in with, with learning how to play the guitar, all those bands were great. They had such great songs. And I used to come home from school when I was, you know, 13, 14. Never mind the homework. I would just put my guitar on and put a Rolling Stones record on or a Kinks record on or a Beatles record on, you know, and albums. And I would just play along. I was obviously, you know, hitting loads of wrong notes. I was playing the wrong chords, but it taught me an awful lot about music, I think, and made me think about music. Um, and I soon learned how to, um, you know, play by myself and 
and sing at the same time and and, and that evolved into uh being in a band and then forming my own band working with other young you know guys like my age they were into different sorts of music i mean uh there was a guy called pete humphreys who was another guitarist in my first group and it was pete that introduced me to to bands like led zeppelin and black sabbath and deep purple he liked the heavier rock side of things um but it was just there was so much great music around you know i mean i i love the doors i love Jimi hendrix uh I still do now but you know i love the mamas and the papas the beach boys um just as i say just so much great music around um and we would in the band we would play lots of cover versions from all those 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 great acts yeah i you know and uh where did you play we used to play in local pubs which is quite strange you know when i was you know 14 playing in a pub uh in the uk because you were supposed to we had to be 18 to drink anyway mm-hmm. but um you know, and we would play to, you know, maybe 20 people or sometimes 200 people. And when I think about it now, uh, you know, I, I, I was obviously very confident, um, I suppose, as you are at that age. And I would just get up and sing my heart out and play. And I was convinced I was going to be, you know, a pop star or rock star. There was no question about it. Um, that's what I wanted to do. And when I left school, um, I, I had no intention of getting a job because I wanted to be a professional musician. Um, right. You were just, uh, yeah, you were yeah, yeah, I, like, I'm going to make music for a living. Yeah, I was obsessed by it. And, and my mum and dad eventually said to me after I'd, I think they said I could have two months off school when I finished school. And I left school when I was 16. Um, and as the two months passed, uh, my mum announced that I had to get a job. What was I going to do? So I said, well, there's two jobs I will do. I could work in a record shop or work in a guitar shop. So um, my mother actually arranged for me uh, to go for an interview at um, HMV Records in Manchester, which was a big, large store. Uh, I got the job and it was a dream job, you know, just working in a record shop. Uh, and I was there for seven years. And during that time, I just continued to play in various bands, um, really enjoyed that side of things and also met a lot of big bands as well we we were we were the largest store in manchester um so we had a lot of bands coming in uh making appearances you know as they released a new album so this is now uh sort of mid 70s and we had people like uh deep purple uh we had slade we had the clash later in the 70s the jam and lots of the punk bands would come in and make appearances um so I was then meeting these people, which, you know, I was just starstruck. I remember meeting Mark Boland from T-Rex um, and I couldn't believe that I was talking to this guy that I'd seen on on TV, you know, on top of the pops. Sure. In the UK. Uh, so the whole thing was just time seemed to pass really quickly as well. I was doing lots of gigs. I was just music was my life. That's all that mattered to me. That that, you know, um you're right, though. You kind of reached that point where, well, I'm able to work my day gig or, you know, nights, depending on the shift at the record store, but gave me time to make my own music. Were you did you write your own music? Was it just a cover band or did you take a hand at uh, trying to write original songs? Yeah, no, we were writing original songs. You know, I was um, I've still got cassette tapes now of songs that I was writing from when I was 13, actually. And they're all pretty atrocious. 
and I would never I would never play them to anyone except my wife. Uh, and I have done and she laughed. But um, but, you know, it was just it was great fun, you know. Um, and the other guys in the band, you know, we would we would write songs together. Um, it was just great fun, you know. But but that that did evolve into um, in 1978. Uh, I formed a band called The Cheaters as in cheating at cards. That's the way it was spelled. C-H-E-A-T-E-R-S. Okay. Um, I met this guy who'd um, moved up from London called Mick Brophy, who was a, a great harmonica player, had a great knowledge of music and was a good songwriter and also, you know, a guitarist. Um, so I formed the Cheaters with with Mick and um, we then signed to Parlophone Records. We got our first record deal. Nice. And we were professional musicians for about, well, eight, eight to ten years. We made three albums, released a, a string of singles, and we were hugely unsuccessful in, in the <laughs> UK. <laughs> but we we um, we used to gig all the time. One year we did 320 gigs wow. as well as making our first album. Uh, and, yeah, we, we became a really good, tight live band. Uh, we, you know, we could draw a crowd. Um, we were on the university circuit in the UK. We found a nice little niche in um, parts of Europe, uh, Scandinavia especially, where we would go and tour for, you know, four to six weeks at a time, um, playing, you know, small bars. So we did it for a living, which was, again, just great fun. You know, got great memories of doing all of that. You know, that's um, – I have a good friend named uh, Sarah Hickman. She's a singer-songwriter. Um she started performing as, you know, similar to you. Uh, she ended up getting signed with Elektra Records, ended up leaving them, did some independence. And she just recently, after about 20, 30 years, uh, I guess 30 years, retired as a performer. And she's now running a, a bread and breakfast. Right. But, um, you know, she was like, I, I made enough that I was able to, you know, help support my family. I, um, you know, traveled the world. I got to, you know, make some beautiful music and I, you know, played for some fans. And um, that's got to mean something. That's got to be pretty special to you, Neil. That, yeah. You know, sure, it would be lovely to be a multimillionaire and have people singing your songs everywhere. But just the idea that for those years you were able to support yourself and you're able to be creative you know that's got from my mind that's a win oh it is it was i've got fantastic memories and i still see all the guys that i was in the cheaters with and we still okay we do the odd gig um for a laugh we've not done one now for two years but mainly old friends birthdays or something or parties or you know um and it's great fun um but i I reached a point where I could tell my career as a professional musician wasn't going to go much further. I know there's plenty of people that go on and on forever, and sometimes they do get that lucky break. But I felt as though we sort of we'd had a lot of breaks and we'd had a brilliant time. We supported ourselves for, as I say, about 10 years. And I just decided to call it a day. Um, I was also married by then and was starting, you know, to bring up a family. I had two, my two sons had been born. Um, so I decided to call it a day, but wanted to stay in music. And that's when I got into working uh, at, a lo at a local radio station. 
So I've, I've been very lucky that I've always worked in music. That is, that's awesome. Uh, that is so great. Now, you mentioned before we hit record, but I'm going to ask you again. You know, do you remember when you first kind of heard about Bruce? And, and is there, you know, do you have any significant memories of that? Well, as I mentioned to you before, Jesse, I sort of do, but it's a bit vague. And I can't pin, pinpoint exactly when it was, but it's, I think it's two things. I think I saw, I know I saw Bruce on uh, a programme we have here in the UK or used to have called the Old Grey Whistle Test, which was the music show uh, once a week. Fantastic programme. You know, as a music fan, you would hear and see so many great acts on that programme. Acts used to play live and they also used to show uh it wasn't so much videos, it was film footage of, of artists playing live. And I'm sure I saw a clip of Bruce uh, playing Born to Run. I'm sure that was the first time I'd ever seen Bruce. I think I'd heard him on the radio before then. I do remember hearing, obviously, Manfred Mann's version of Blinded by the Light. And I have a vague memory of hearing that they hadn't written the song. It was by this guy called Bruce Springsteen. And I seem to remember seeking that out, you know, wondering what album it was on and then hearing that version. But it's all a bit vague, to tell you the truth, Jesse. You know, um, yeah, I, I can imagine, um, you know, but once he became part of your, I guess, musical conscience, uh, what were your thoughts on him? I mean, you know, here's someone you've you've grown up loving. Uh, the Beatles and other British bands. It, you've mentioned a couple of American bands that were certainly in your, you know, listening circle. But what what were your thoughts about Bruce? I could tell straight away that he was an incredible songwriter and also performer. Um, and it's funny, knowing I was talking to you tonight, um, I actually went to my CD collection to see uh, how many Bruce, well, not to see how many Bruce Springsteen albums I own, but I was quite surprised because I have a lot more than I thought I did. I've got a, a full sort of rack there going, oh, blimey, I'd forgotten I have that. Um, but I, I, I distinctly remember realising that, as I said, you know, he's, he's an amazing songwriter, an amazing performer. I think the thing that hit me when I first saw, you know, a clip of him on the Ogro Whistle Test was the energy of Bruce on stage, the passion, and also the energy of his band as well. Um, I think that really came across and I think that's what uh, struck me about Bruce Springsteen as a performer. And then after that, whenever I would hear a Bruce Springsteen track on the radio, it was always a killer song. It was never like, oh, you know, that's that's OK or that's a bit average. Every single and every album track I seemed to hear on the radio, it was always, wow, that's Bruce Springsteen again. You know, what a great song. Um, and he was, I suppose, like other artists in our lives. He was always there. I mean, I'm a huge Neil Young fan as well. Um, and, you know, Neil Young's always been there making records and, you, and you, he'd release a new album. You'd go and buy it and enjoy it. And Bruce was like that for me. You know, a new album would come out. I might not buy it immediately, you know, the day of release or the week of release. But I would, I would always end up buying it um, and enjoying it. You know, um, we once had a discussion, me and a friend of mine, of, you know, if Bruce had not, if he had not re, you know, originally born in the USA was not going to be this anthem. It was going to be kind of this blues um, album, you know, song. And, 
you know, we've often thought about if Bruce had not gone global with the Born in the USA album, you know, what career would he have had? And I hmm. said, I think he'd be, um, you know, Neil Youngish. Yeah, I you agree. Know, you know, very well respected, certainly not, you know, uh, you know, but just not a a superstar the way he was in the 80s. Um, so good. I, I'm glad you agree, I, you know, because I, I don't mean that in any bad way. I just thought. Um, so, Neil, have you seen him live? And by the way, before you answer the question, I, I always like to put the disclaimer out there that the number of times you've seen Bruce is not a fair barometer of what big of how big of a fan you are because <laughs> depending on circumstances, financial location, you may not have had the chance as someone who lives in Jersey, you know, that found him in the early, you know, the late seventies had a chance to see him. So Well, it's I'm glad you've preempted my answer by saying that because I've seen so many of my favorite artists live from I was lucky enough to see Led Zeppelin um, you know, I've seen Paul McCartney live. I've just seen so many great bands live. Two of my favourite artists, Bruce Springsteen and Neil Young, I have never seen live. And it's funny because I actually almost saw Bruce. And um, again, I'm not too sure of the which tour it was. It was either 1992 or 94, I think. Um, he was playing Manchester. I was working at the radio station and... We were given a pair of tickets, you know, complimentary as you do when you work in, you know, at a radio station. Sure. To see uh, Bruce play at the Manchester Apollo, I remember. And there was a very good friend of mine, still a very good friend of mine, called Tony Michaelidis, who now uh, actually lives in Florida. And I was, I ended up working with Tony. Tony used to run the largest um, record promotions company um, in the UK. He he helped break you too. He works with Steve Winwood. Um, oh, just Whitney Houston, Tony Braxton. Uh, the list is endless. Tony is a massive, massive Bruce Springsteen fan. And I happened to mention to Tony that I had these two com complimentary tickets to the Manchester Apollo. And Tony had managed to buy his tickets. And I remember he sort of looked at me and I went, Tony, how them? So I gave my two tickets to Tony. Oh, what a good friend. <laughs> And he was obviously very grateful, you know, but uh, I'm, 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 you know, I'm pleased I gave them to him. It's, um, you know, and he went to, to the gig. And I know Tony's seen Bruce loads of times as well. You know, um, I just had a guy join me uh, that's seen him multiple times. And um, he told the story that um, he is has been a writer and newspaper columnist and um he said that he once was offered a chance to fly with the Blue Angels. Oh, yeah. You know, the famous and, – and he said, no, I, I have a Springsteen show to go to. And <sighs> he says now then um, – he says it was an okay – it was a good show. You know, Bruce shows are always good. But he said – you know, how often do you get a chance to fly with the Blue Angels? And so <laughs> he says, I kind of regret that decision. I, I said, yeah. well, that's interesting. Um, yeah. So what – talk about – so when you started the website, you said that was – tell me again when you started doing the website. 
19, well, I launched it in 1999. I started collecting all the information yeah. in 1991 when I, uh, I started, I started working in radio in 1989. Um, so I started collecting the information and it was, it just grew and grew. And each year, as each day came, I would add to things. I would be buying books and music magazines, you know, music papers, the enemy and Melody Maker in the UK and Rolling Stone as well. And I would just be adding facts that happened on that day when people released albums, released singles, what was number one, you know, in America and the UK. So um, that just I always thought this is going to make a great book. So I probably did that for seven years or six years. And then as the Internet sort of was launched and people became aware of the Internet, um, a good friend of mine called John Wadlow, uh, who was a, a manager, he used to manage SEAL. And he was very intrigued by the, all this information that I had. And he um, helped me financially to launch uh, This Day Music as a website in 1999. And every day since then, I add new bits of information to it as it happens. So, you know, obviously, sadly, when people die, I mean, the past two years, as you know, Jesse, we've lost so many great musicians. So many. Um Obviously, I add those. I add all the number ones, the number one albums in the States and the UK. Um, so it's all on there. On, so it's thisdaymusic.com. Uh, and there's no other website like it, really, because it's, it's by date. So for argument's sake, today um, is the anniversary of uh, Karen Carpenter's death. Um, you know, and I also then run, I run a Facebook page, which is This Day Music, which fans interact with and... Um, it's well, it's part of my job. It's part of my living. That's what I do. Yeah. So I was going to ask about that, Neil. By the way, I've got your Amazon um, page up um, as we were talking, and um, I see that you've got, um, you know, the Day of Music. Um, you know, the Kindle version is available. I assume that's the the latest version that'll come out in June 2010. It is. In fact, we've got a new version coming out uh, okay. late this year. Yeah. Okay. All okay. right. Um, you know, in the late 90s, um, the Internet was just getting started, I, I guess, in a big way. Yeah. Uh, that's that's pretty cool that you got up so, you know, early into this. Well, it's, it's, it was because I, I, you know, I remember um, an engineer at the radio station saying, have a look at this. It's called the Internet. And he typed in this address and we just launched a Web page for the radio station. And I remember looking at this thing thinking, this is, you know, this is awesome. So you can put a page on there and anyone in the world can see it if they can find it. Um, so it just it got me thinking. And I thought, well, I would love to get this day of music on the Internet. So that came well before the first book. So I was I can proudly say I was online, you know, well before eBay or Spotify or Amazon Um but they've all made huge amounts of money. But that's just that's life. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, y you know, I have gone through when when I read about you, you know, you posted about the book. I started looking at the uh, Web page and and I've now signed up for the um, mailing list. I've gotten your mailing list, so I'm getting this. And it is fascinating the different events that have happened and. And I had saw that Karen Carpenter had died today. I, I did, I had, I did, I knew 
I, I did not know what time of year she died, and it was, yeah. um, you know, it, such a the diversity of sometimes their um, sad notes and sometimes their um, happy notes. Well, yeah, that, that's it. I think that's the beauty of it. I mean, I'm now just looking at, uh, today. So uh, today being the 4th of February, the Rolling Stones released 19 Nerv- Nervous Breakdown. Um, uh, the Beatles um, recorded Across the Universe. Um, Fleetwood Mac released Rumours um, in the UK. Uh, there's, there's so many. It's, it's, it's diverse. There's so so much has gone on and when you when you pin it down to a you know each day in the year uh, also david bowie uh, on this day 1972 recorded rock and roll suicide you know this huge landmarks really every day uh, which it interests me and obviously luckily it interests lots of other music fans as well and you know one of the things that i i love is um if you want to go down as they say the rabbit hole um, you know, the Carpenters, you know, there is, you've gotten a written up, you have a write up of, you know, their 14 year career, 11 yeah. albums. I mean, um, you know, Karen Carpenter's voice was amazing yeah. and, and to share this and, and, um, and I love the fact because everyone, you know, everyone has different feelings and different thoughts and, um, and different people think have different fandoms. And I guess that's what I love the fact that you don't, you know, you're not going to say, Hey, the Carpenters was uncool. Why do they even cover? No, the Carpenters at their time wasn't a major influence in, in pop. Yeah. And so I, you know, I'm not going to, I just share the facts and give you this deal and give you the ideas. And so sure. I love that. No, well, thank you. Well, that is the idea, because obviously you can't please all the people all the time. But yeah. I think as a, as a rule, if you're just interested in music history, then, you know, you you can appreciate the Carpenters. You can appreciate Black Sabbath. You can yeah. appreciate the Trogs. You can appreciate the Grateful Dead, you know. Um, so, yeah, I think that's how it works. That's very good. So uh, my next question is, um you you're thinking about okay this would be a good book how'd you go about making it happen well um i compiled it all and then because i've always worked in the music business um you know what it's like it's who you know i knew someone that knew uh, a large publishing company they're called omnibus um i presented the idea to them they liked it and, and then published the book it was as simple as that actually Oh, that's um, nice. Yeah, it's great. Obviously, it's not it doesn't always work out that way, you know. Uh, but through that, um, I've now worked as well as the stay music. I've worked alongside publishing companies, you know, writing bits and pieces. Um, and just over the past two or three years, um, I've become very involved with a, a publishing company called Red Planet Publishing. Uh, well, actually, I'm a director of the company now. Um, and that's where the series of I Was There books stems from. Uh, we publish those books. So that's why I'm doing the Bruce Springsteen book. Well, yeah. Talk to me about how that came up. Why did you decide to do, you know, this series? I, I remember as a kid, um, you know, the I Was There books where they would be, um, 
young adult back then they weren't called young adult books books but they would be set in a historical time and the main character would be involved in that you know i was there at the alamo or i was there when you know lewis and clark um of course i'm going to think of english of american history things yeah so tell me how you uh, you know how did you come up with this idea and um and how did you pick your first thought Okay, well, to be quite honest, Jesse, it wasn't my idea. Um, okay. One of our one of our authors called Richard Horton, who's a, a, a great author, um, he's published several books. Uh, he mainly, well, he just writes about music. He's a huge music fan, so he pitched the idea of um, I was there, the Beatles, uh, to Red Planet Publishing, um, which we took him up on. So that book came out just over two years ago. But prior to that, I think Richard's first book was I Was There, The Rolling Stones, actually, which came out about five years ago. Um, And as soon as I saw, I didn't see the Stones book at first, but as soon as I read the Beatles book, I Was There, I just thought, what a great idea, what a great concept um, to do it with music. So through that, uh, I've been working with Richard, but Richard authored The Beatles, The Who and The Rolling Stones. Um, and then I said to him, you know, I would like to do David Bowie as the next book in the series, which I did last year. Um, and as I mentioned before, Jesse, we obviously, you know, talked to Richard all the time and we were talking about who we should do next. And I said, well, I want to do Bruce Springsteen. So that's what I've done. What? Um, why David Bowie first? That, I mean, I certainly think that's I mean. David Bowie is amazing, and I just I didn't know if there was a personal connection there or something. No, there's no personal con- con- uh, connection apart from me being a huge fan. I think I think David Bowie was probably in my mind w- with his passing. Um, yeah. There'd been so much written about David Bowie, so many books. Uh, it just seemed like an obvious thing to do, and I've always been a huge, huge David Bowie fan. Um, I mean, I would put David Bowie up there with Bruce Springsteen. I think, you know, David Bowie had an amazing career. David Bowie was very unsuccessful for the first sort of um, eight to ten years of his career. Really struggled. His records didn't sell. They didn't chart. Um, he bounced around a few labels. Um, but when you look at his his catalogue, like Bruce's, it's just amazing. David Bowie was a brilliant songwriter um, and had a very interesting and diverse career. Yeah, um, I was ha- I was lucky enough um, when uh, Bruce opened the River 2016 tour um, when he, he in Pittsburgh, you know he op- he did a cover of a Bowie song yeah. and and you know there was a lot of discussion because um, David Bowie was an early supporter. Right. He did. He covered two Springsteen songs. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that that's um, amazing. I'm going to have to check that book out. And then um, I do think you'll get. Uh, well, talk to me. What kind of stories or things are you looking from when uh, people send in? And then I want to hear how we can do this. OK. Well, basically, um, all we want to hear is people's memories and stories of seeing Bruce Springsteen, uh, mainly in concert. I mean, we get the odd story where perhaps it was an engineer that happened to work in the studio or maybe, a you know, a technician, uh, roadie. But 
Uh, 90% of these books are just fans' memories of seeing Bruce Springsteen live in concert and also hearing the music for the first time, what it meant to them, uh, maybe how you know it, it became part of their life or their relationship with a partner. Uh, that's what we're looking for. And we're happy for the memory to be maybe, you know, just short. It could be two paragraphs. Other people are sending in like 2000 words, you know, that whole sort of uh, memories and experiences. Um, I found an awful lot of people have seen Bruce Springsteen play live multiple times, as in, you know, some people over 100 times, which is absolutely incredible. Uh, yes, but 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 we're, we're very focused on getting a really good spread. Um, we've been talking to people that saw Bruce very early on in his career. And it's fact. It's funny that we we were talking about David Bowie, but we we have actually David Bowie talked about uh, seeing Bruce play at uh, Max's Kansas City in 1973, um, which is you know really interesting. So that will be included in the book. It's only a short paragraph. But it's David Bowie talking about seeing Bruce Springsteen. Um, but as I say, we're very keen to hear from people, especially who saw Bruce very early on, late 60s, you know, in Steel Mill, Child, etc. Uh, but then right through, you know, the 70s, the 80s, 90s, right through to the current times. And one lovely thing we're getting as well, because of technology now, we've had some amazing pictures of people uh, from people, sorry who've been to gigs over the past probably, but say, 10 years, and they've taken some fantastic photographs. So we include those in the book as well. That is awesome. Um, you know, one of the reasons we talk, and that's why I ask the question to people, you know, how many times have you seen Bruce? Because there are people that have seen him multiple times, yeah. uh, you know, into the hundreds. And... But there's other people um, similar to yourself that, you know, even though you're a fan and you love them, it isn't something you've just never had the opportunity or made, been able to see them. So um, I, I, I'm looking forward to because in a lot of ways, Bruce is – it's a very personal experience. Yeah. Uh, people send to um, – I share the story that there's two kinds of um, people who go see Bruce Springsteen. Um, those who go, wow, that was a really long trip, long show. And yeah. people like me, they go, oh, my goodness, I want to go um, and sell everything I own and go see him every time I can uh, get the chance. So yeah. I am excited about it. Um, if – people want to contribute talk to me the best ways they can do this okay it's quite simple really i mean we like to get everything on email so then i can communicate with the the, the person you know to maybe expand the story slightly or ask some questions but i'm quite happy to give out my email address which is neil n-e-i-l at this day in music.com so neil at this day music.com um and as I say, because we do it by email, um, I can I can communicate with people more to maybe get a bit more out of the story. But having said that, Jesse, I also I sometimes, you know, will get people's Skype numbers um, and actually talk to them personally uh, just to talk about their experiences. 
Okay, very good. Um, what's your timeline? When do you need people to send things in by? Well, we've already had, as I mentioned before, we just started collecting uh, these memories of fans at the start of January. And we've had already about 150. And we, we like to get about 350 in the book. Well, 300 to 350. So, and I really like to include everybody. I don't like to leave people out. And we are getting people from all over the world. We've already got lots of people from uh, America, lots of UK people, Australia, New Zealand, Europe, you know, Germany, Italy, Greece. Um, so we like people from all over the world, uh, but our timeline really will probably close entries by the end of March, I would say, possibly just into early April. And hopefully the book will come out. Uh, the turnaround for books is actually very quick. Uh, the book will probably come out mid-June. Nice. Very good. Well, you definitely are going to get my story. Great. Um, so, uh, and and share. Do you want a specific um, concert story? Or if you have seen it multiple times, uh, you know, kind of an overall story, which which would you prefer? Yeah, we we tend to prefer just one concert story, if that's possible. Yes. I mean, I just had a great one in today, actually, from um, I can't remember his name now, but some guy in the in the States who saw Bruce very early on. Uh, I think it was 1974 at some at his college. And apparently uh, Bruce and the band weren't happy with the acoustics on the stage. So they got the the students to put a load of foam mattresses on the, the ceiling and behind the stage. And uh, they played the show. The show was fantastic. So this, this guy talks about the show and how good it was. And after the concert, this particular guy with his friend decided they'd like to steal one of these mattresses as a souvenir. So they did. They managed to rip one off the ceiling. And he then installed it in the back of his Volkswagen camper van. And... Um, he actually had sex for the very first time on this mattress that would be <laughs> a sound baffle for Bruce Springsteen, which, I mean, not not every story is going to be as quirky as that, but that to me is a great story. That is amazing. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, you know, and I want to stress this and please jump in, uh, Neil. Um, I, am always looking for people to join me on the podcast and tell their story. And I often get, um, the, well, I don't have anything to say. Um, you know, my story's nothing unique about my story and I, you know, I'm boring and I always make the argument that every Springsteen fan has a story. Yeah, and yeah. it and you know it doesn't have to be as you talked about, you know the first I saw Bruce and then I had sex or no. <laughs> I've had you know I've had a um, you know one of my favorite two episodes is uh, Tom England wrote a story about his daughter being born premature and uh, they promoted the book. I talked about that one of the things he read Harry Potter to her and he oh, yeah. played Bruce Springsteen. And um, she's now seven or eight. Right. Um, You know, I've had another uh, young man, Adam, that was severely mentally challenged when 
because of his mother getting in an accident while he was in her womb. And he would not speak till he started listening to Bruce Springsteen's albums. And that's where he learned his voice. Right. Wow. So that's two of the three miracles that we need Bruce for sainthood. You know, he brought the death and he cured the deaf. Um, But I said, but I've also had amazing stories of just people. I grew up in Jersey. I listened to his music. And it makes me happy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. And, you know, as I say, we like to hear, you know, I suppose when people were first introduced to his music and what it means to them, uh, maybe what their favorite album is or their favorite song, whether it means something special. And then also the concert experience, you know, because every gig, especially early on, is different. Um it might have been the first time that, you know, Bruce had played that particular city or town, you know. Uh, so every I think every fan does have a different story to tell. Yeah. And I think this will be a beautiful way to capture them and to share. And uh, I'm urging all my listeners um, to send in something. Uh, I will have the email address um, and the uh address the web address for the website in the show notes I'll, I'll turn around and try to get this out pretty quick so we can get uh, right. word out um neil any final thoughts you want to share not really jesse i mean it's been lovely to talk to you and um i don't want to bore your listeners um no no no, no. you've been great i, I appreciate <laughs> that well thank you but i'm i'm very excited by the book uh i really enjoyed compiling the the david bowie i was there book um and I did worry whether I could, you know, match that. But I know I'm going to match it with Bruce Springsteen. I was there. And as I mentioned before, Jesse, the photographs we're getting from fans are just brilliant. And sorry, something else we do like to include in the book. We like to include a photograph of uh, the fan um, from around the time they saw Bruce. So, you know, whether it was Bruce Springsteen in 1977 or 1983, if you have a story we like to also include a photograph of you from that time, which we include in the book, because it gives the book a really nice feel because you see the you see the fashions and the haircuts and the backgrounds. You know, might be you might be stood by a car or a building. Um, so that works really well. Yeah, that sounds great. That sounds really nice. Um, so um, go ahead and give the website uh, and your Twitter handle. Okay, so uh, website is thisdayinmusic.com. Um, I don't really use, I do use Twitter. Uh, Twitter is this, you know, at This Day in Music. Our yeah. Facebook page is, uh, you know, on Facebook, This Day in Music. We do three or four daily posts from the website. And also, I don't know whether you've seen this, Jesse, but one thing that people do seem to like about This Day in Music, the website, is uh, we also have a page called Birthday Number One. And you can see what song was number one on the day you were born. Oh, nice. Do you know what your song is? No, I do not. I was born on June 3rd, 1959. June 3rd, 1959. I, the reason I do this, I used to do this on the radio. And I, I used to have a, a copy of the Guinness Book of Hit Singles. And people would phone in and I would tell them what their song was. And while I've been waffling, I've just looked at yours and it's the Battle of New Orleans by Johnny Horton. I, I will take that. That's not a bad song. <laughs> That's great, isn't it? Yeah, that My, is great. Mine is the Everly Brothers. All I have to do is dream. Oh, that's that's definitely a lovely, lovely song to hear. 
It is. It's a lovely song. So I'm very yeah. privileged to have that as my yes. birthday song. So, yeah. So I'm sure your listeners might enjoy that. You just go to birthday number one on thisdaymusic.com and it will show you what was number one on the day you were born. There's a little jukebox thing there. You just put the date in. Yeah, I, I do love um, the website and the um, the red little jukebox. I'm like, that is so beautiful. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it's in there. You have trivia. You have so, there. Talk about there is things you could get down and just get lost in doing this. It is an amazing uh, website with a lot of different trivia um, and and a lot of different things to read. So well done. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so um, thank you, uh, Neil. Um, if you want to join me on the podcast and tell your Bruce Springsteen story, first, write an email to Neil. But then secondly, send me an email at setlustingbruce at gmail.com. You can reach me on Twitter at Jesse Jackson DFW. And the show's Twitter is at setlustingbruce. If you have the opportunity, go to iTunes to rate and review the podcast. That is how people find us. Um, Neil, I hope you get hundreds. I hope you get four or five hundred um, emails from people and because I want to read every story. I just think this is going to be great. <laughs> So uh, we thank you so much. I was going to say thank, thank you very much for having me on the, on the show, Jesse. It's been great to talk to you. You're very welcome. Um, listeners, thank you. We'll talk to you soon. Subway station. I pushed my way through the heart of the crowd. I shoved my way through the heart of the crowd. Past the sign saying this is not allowed to wear. Someone standing straight and shouting out loud. Cuffed to the jailhouse door. Transmitting from the gallows floor. If you're sick, It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 